At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Yesterday, I did something that I don't often do. I spent some time yesterday morning watching the United States compete in the biggest sporting event in the world, the FIFA World Cup. How many of you join me in watching the United States compete in the World Cup? They were trying to make their... Their claim to greatness, weren't they? They were trying to attain something that we haven't attained in many years. Now, the truth is the U.S. team is young, but they have a very bright future. And so what they were trying to do on the world stage was stake their claim to greatness. Because the reality is they haven't attained much greatness on the national or international stage in the past. And yet... The U.S. team is improving. We're getting better. Well, the truth is many of us could say the same thing. Many of us could say, you know what, I have not attained greatness, but I am working on it. Whatever your field is, whatever your discipline is, whatever your area of focus, you are seeking to grow, you're seeking to develop, you're seeking to improve with the hope that you attain greatness. Now, here's why I know that. Because most people don't set out in their career to be average You know, the fact of the matter is, I go to school, I learn my craft, I learn my trade, whatever it is, and I just barely want to get by. I want my coworkers to look at me and go, that guy, he's average. No. No. We all desire to be noticed. We all desire to be seen. We all desire to be recognized, sometimes even celebrated for our contributions. It's greatness. Now, culturally speaking, this is something that many of us strive for, but the reality is many of us struggle to attain that. Professionally speaking, it is the target for, I would suggest, probably most everybody in this room, and yet only a very small percentage of us hit that mark. And yet the human heart desires greatness. It's one of our deepest longings to be seen, not to be overlooked, to be remembered, not forgotten. We desire to be respected not dismissed. What that means is we desire greatness. I've got some good news for you today. 
Some good news because God desires greatness for you and for me too. You guys believe that? That's not nearly enough of you. Do you guys believe that? All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to God's word in just a moment. Because we're going to see that that greatness comes in a very different way than what you and I might expect. The greatness comes to us in the form that is different than what we might think. And we're going to turn to Matthew's gospel in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts in this moment because we desire to hear from you. We have come to this place with our family, with our friends, to bring you an offering of praise today. To acknowledge your goodness and your grace in our lives. To acknowledge the significance of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you meet with us today? Would you meet with us right here in this moment? Because as we've talked about, our hearts long for greatness. Our hearts long for many things, but we need you to meet with us in our longings. So God, one way you do that, you, one way you meet with us is through the reality and the truth of your word. It is truth. We stand upon it as a church, as individual believers. We stand upon the truth of your word today. So God, we need eyes to see this truth clearly. We need ears to, to hear this truth. And then, God, may you find our hearts humble. Humble before you that we might be able to put this truth into practice in our family and in our, with our friends, with our coworkers in the week ahead, God. So minister to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, church family, we continue our Advent sermon series. You can see it behind me. It is called Fulfilled, and we are in this series as we journey towards Christmas, towards the coming of the Christ. Now, throughout our series, we're going to be reading uh, a series of passages from Matthew's gospel. And what's going to happen is each of those passages will give us details on how the birth of Christ fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And how this Old Testament teaching points to Christ and in doing so, our deepest longings are fulfilled. So let's grab our Bibles and read once again Matthew's gospel. We're going to read once again what the Castleys read to us so beautifully a few moments ago. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be beginning with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. And so after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's stop there. What we just read is a very familiar story to many of us. It's a text that's often read during the Christmas season and for good reason. You've got all the pieces of the nativity right there. In that story, of course, there's Jesus, there's Mary and Joseph, and of course, the wise men and their familiar gifts. What are those gifts? There you go. The scene is set. You guys are familiar with the story. And this familiar setting reveals to us something perhaps a little more significant that we may first realize when we look at first glance. Obviously, what we see is the importance of the Christ child. But if we're going to look a little bit deeper, we'll see how the baby changes the cultural narrative of greatness. It's a little deeper when we look into the text. To see what I mean, let's look back at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, notice king, small k, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? For they saw a star when it rose, and they have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, you can imagine what was going on. He was troubled, the text tells us. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? So they told him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea. So it is written by the prophet, you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah. That is a very important line. For from you shall come a ruler, a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Do you guys know what's being highlighted right there? Reputation. 
reputation is what is being covered in this portion of our text. Of all the places in the ancient world that a king could be born or a king should be born, it was most certainly not Bethlehem. It was not Bethlehem. The size of the city was insignificant. The location, again, insignificant. The impact of the city, again, insignificant. You put all those together, what is Bethlehem? Insignificant. It's an insignificant place. Bethlehem had very little by way of reputation, and yet it is in this insignificant city that something incredibly significant happens. And in telling the story, Matthew quotes two Old Testament passages that actually foreshadow the importance of what's happening. The first is found in Micah chapter 5. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel. Ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. That's in Micah. That is an Old Testament prophecy. The second one comes from Samuel. The second book of Samuel, actually, chapter 5. Tells of the heritage of Jesus. It says, And then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. And in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be a shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. What took place in this insignificant town of Bethlehem changed the history of the world. And I'm not exaggerating. Change the history of the world. And this matters to you and me because it helps us see that greatness is not based on our reputation. Greatness does not come because of our reputation. Fact is, Bethlehem is insignificant in its time. And yet God used that particular place to change the world. Consider this. Bethlehem is one of the most prominent places to visit in the world today. Small, weird location, no impact in that time period. And yet today, millions of people around the world flock to this place. Just in the United States, a total of 18 states have a community named Bethlehem. 18 states. Because something significant happened there. You see, God uses the insignificant for his significant purposes. And that shows us that a reputation does not define us. It does not define a city and it does not define an individual. Only God defines greatness. So let me bring this down to the personal level for just a moment. Let me make this personal, not just kind of in this religious space and considering the Christmas story. Let's bring it down to where you live and to where I live. What this means is we should not allow our past to define us. 
It's not about our reputation. Instead, by faith, what we do is we allow God, the provider of forgiveness, the provider of mercy, the provider of love and of grace through his son Jesus, we allow him to define us. Now, let's return to the text and see what else does not determine greatness. We'll look at at two passages. Again, context is always important, so I want to begin with verse 1, and then we're going to skip down to verses 7 through 10. Verse 1, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, we've already talked about the insignificance insignificance of that location. In the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Hmm. That place is having a little more significance in the moment, isn't it? He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and that I may worship him. (laughs) After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Consider with me the identity of the people at this part of the story. There's Herod, the king, small k. If we go back a few verses, we recognize that there are chief priests and there are scribes. We learn that in, I think, verses 4 and 5. And then we get to what some folks would call the magi. Or wise men. Scholars will tell us that they basically were pagan astrologers. They were very spiritual people. Trick question for you. Who received God's call to worship the Christ? Was it the king? It had to be the religious people, right? Surprisingly, it was the pagan astrologers. It was the wise men who God invited to come and to worship Jesus. It was not the religious experts. Now that reality, that truth, should make every single one of us in this room say, Amen. That's fantastic. The king didn't get invited. The religious people, the experts didn't get invited. Pagans, outsiders, they are the one that God invited. We should say amen because that is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of God's grace given to a people who do not deserve it. It's a beautiful picture. Because what it shows us is that God's grace is given to those of us who are lost. God's grace is given to those who are weak, to those who are broken, to those who are needy, to those who are poor in spirit. God's grace is given 
lavishly upon those types of people. Wait a minute. People like you and like me. Broken, needy. People without a spiritual resume. People who do not have credentials. You don't walk in and say, well, I have greatness. People who actually contribute nothing to the equation. And church, this shows us the second truth that's so important for us today. Greatness is not based upon your identity. Greatness is not based upon your identity. The greatness that any of us attain in this life... Whether it's a title, corner office, huge paycheck, maybe even an impressive social media platform, those things might for the moment give us some kind of professional identity. And many of us have worked very, very hard to attain those things. But the truth is they have nothing to do with greatness in God's eyes. Nothing. But this leads us to an obvious question, doesn't it? I mean, this really does cause us to pause for a moment. If greatness is not based on our reputation and greatness then is not connected to our identity, what in the world is greatness based upon? What is it? Let's go back to our text. Specifically, two verses. Verse 6 and verse 11. First, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Right here, what Matthew does is he modifies the prophet Micah's statement ever so slightly, and yet that change has great importance. He declares that Bethlehem is by no means least among the rulers. Why? Because the ruler will come from Bethlehem. Very significant. You see, it was God who established the greatness of that city and the greatness of the ruler that would rise up and come from that tiny, little, insignificant speck on the map. It was God in his sovereignty who determined the greatness. And as he does, he does so in a way that all of us will understand. Let's look at verse 11. He does it through relationship. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. They gave him gold and they gave him frankincense and they offered him myrrh the magi, the wise men, men who would be referred today in our culture as spiritual, they found the Messiah. And what do they do? They fall down and they worship him on the spot. 
They surrender to him in worship. Before we move past the significance of God's involvement in the story and the sovereignty of God's move, I want us to consider what it was that he did to get to this point, okay? You guys tracking with me? God gets the attention of the wise men, puts a star on the sky, gets their attention. Then God uses that to guide them and to take them into the right and proper direction. And then, once he gets them there, he shows them Jesus. Guys, this is the same kind of work that God does in your life and in mine the same kind of work. He gets our attention. He'll use something in our lives to grab a hold of our attention. And then he'll guide us on the path. Perhaps he'll bring a friend or a family member to guide you along on the journey. And he'll lead you to Jesus. He'll show you his son, the one who was born of a virgin. We looked at that last week. The one who lived a sinless, spotless life and then sacrificed that life on a cross so that all who would have faith in him might experience forgiveness. For those who would repent and believe. Friends, this shows us that through a relationship with our God, through faith in his son, we find the answer to our deepest longing. Greatness is based on a relationship. A relationship with our holy, righteous God through Jesus, the son. Church, this is why we tell and retell the Christmas story year after year after year. Because it is the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, that God changed the entire narrative of greatness. Because in Jesus, the least become the greatest. In Jesus, the least among us become the greatest. And that is good news for every single person here today. It's great news. Because it's not about your reputation. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your identity. It is not about who you are that defines you. Instead, greatness is defined in a relationship. With Jesus, the Christ. He is the one who secures your greatness. And he is the one who fulfills that deepest longing. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.